Hi guys, and welcome to the Knowledge Panel episode 21, and we're talking about JavaScript SEO. As normal, I've got a fantastic panel with me, and I was chatting with them before uh, before we came on, and uh, it's really good to have uh, Joe and Jamie. I reckon uh, these guys are, are, are going to uh, uh, certainly uh, put me uh, put me in my place when I start going off on one that you know what through. you did. Yes, absolutely. So, <laughs> so, uh, so we got, and, and it's really nice to see to see you, you guys as well, um, Joe. Why don't you, for the benefit of the audience, tell everyone who you are and where do you come from? Uh, my name is Joe Hall. I am a uh, technical SEO consultant. Um, I've been doing this for way too long. Uh, I am from Columbia, South Carolina. And we met 12 years ago, something like that? Something like that. Yeah, something like that. It was, it was a time when it was much a hazier time for both of us, yeah. I think. <laughs> Uh, and uh, Jamie, how are you? Hey, love. I'm doing very well. Yesterday in Denver, it was 65. It is snowing right now. Uh, I'm a technical SEO. That? That's incredible. That's just Denver for you, isn't it? It is. It is. It's like if you don't like the weather, just wait a day. And that's where really where we're at. There's actually a lot of the Deep Crawl crew based out of Denver, which is pretty great. I can just see my teammates, even though we're all remote. I'm a senior technical SEO with the Deep Crawl crew. And and I, I've just been told, you, you told me that you're coming over to Brighton. Yes. Exciting news. Um, fingers crossed ticket isn't booked yet, but I should be good to go out and see all of you lovely folks. I haven't been to an event since the, the long, long ago, the before times. I was going to say, I'll I, be out I, there. You know, I've, I've, I think I've just used my spare free ticket, but Deep Crawl's bound to have loads of tickets so you know because they're gonna sponsor everything come hang out come be our friends yeah absolutely good well it would be nice to see you and uh in in brighton so uh let's go and joe you're thinking about going to mexico for for deep deep sea seo i know for certain that i'm speaking at deep sea seo i don't know uh if i will be there uh it is sort of a hybrid event i think um but it is in mexico the last time i went to mexico uh it's a really long story but I had some trouble getting back, um, and I don't want to jinx it and do that okay. again. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. We've got so, a few months to try and convince you otherwise, then, in that case. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. But I will definitely be speaking there, um, if, you know, one way or the other, I'll be speaking. So, Excellent. Yeah. Oh, and my friend Lucas is sitting there in the audience as well. So thanks for coming in, Lucas. I know in about 30 seconds you'll be concentrating on something else, but uh, <laughs> if you want to jump in with any questions or, or, or add your add your, uh, your, your, your 2P, uh, Lucas, please please do uh, type in the chat and it'd be great. Uh, and, uh, of course, um, this wouldn't all work without my producer, David. Do you want to come in and, uh, and tell me all the things I should have talked about that I forgot before we start? I just want to mention the fact that um, many people will be listening to this on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. But if you're doing that, come and watch us live. Uh, just sign up at theknowledgepanelshow.com. Uh, we've got another show coming up next month that I'll tell you about towards the end of this one. So um, if you can watch us live, that's absolutely wonderful. Then you can interact a little bit and you can ask your own questions. Brilliant. Excellent. Uh, and uh, so, guys, you know, I, I want to jump in with with, with JavaScript and, uh, and JavaScript SEO. And so if people haven't got time to stay for the whole show and they've come in and said, right, you know, oh, I think I know, should know about something about JavaScript and JavaScript SEO. What one takeaway, uh, Jamie, should people, you know, run off with? What's the bit that you kind of wish everybody you know, knew before they came in. First off, hi loves. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope your errands go great and your hair looks fabulous today. Uh, the downside about news we're going to share with you is even if you hate 
JavaScript, it's not going anywhere. Just because SEOs don't love it doesn't mean we can stop it. So embrace the chaos, ride the wave. Don't forget to pick up your dry cleaning and have a lovely day. But didn't we say that about Flash and it's gone? (laughs) (laughs) Well, 98% of the internet wasn't using Flash. So let's counterbalance that expectation. Uh, Well, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, Joe, what about uh, about you? A takeaway that people might go away with if they they need to know about JavaScript SEO. Yeah, I think Jamie's right. I mean, I don't think it's going anywhere. Um, And I think that that's that's a lesson that I've learned over the years is that with SEO, you have to kind of, uh, always kind of accept uh, what you cannot change. You know, it's the old, it's the old serenity prayer. You know, uh, but you know, I, I think that one thing about with with um, JavaScript is I think that people need to understand um, how it is, how it should be utilized uh, to build uh, different types of content, um, and then how it shouldn't. Um, and I think that that for me, my major frustration with JavaScript is that it's being utilized in ways that, you know, it, it doesn't need to be utilized and, and, um, and for ways and reasons that don't really make a lot of sense from a marketing perspective. Can you give an example? Well, I just think that like a lot of, there's a lot of really great uh, JavaScript libraries out there like Angular and React and whatnot. And Jamie, you're an expert on those kind of things. Um, but I think that those are really great for building things like web applications um, and things that need to have like that client side uh, rendering and client side processing. Uh, but from a marketing perspective, we're dealing with uh, a code base that doesn't need to be so complicated on the client side um, and, and needs to really focus on, um, you know, uh, accessibility from not just standard accessibility, but also just the general accessibility for robots and crawlers and users and screen readers and everybody, you know, and so we don't need to focus so totally on uh, such a heavy JavaScript, you know, framework like Angular or whatever. Hear me out. I'm going to counter that one because usually it's not Angular's fault. It's not React's fault. It is the 75 marketing pixels. Why do you have all of them? The next time a vendor comes to you and says, it's magic, just plug and play this directly above the opening head tag, tell them not today. (laughs) If your tools measure the ROI of these third-party tools, they impact your performance. If it's a blocking script, you are dependent on their response time to be performant. Those little scripts, those little pixel scripts and things that you've got all over the place and uh, and, and 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 I I hear you. You know, I kind of sit there, and every time my page is looking mm-hmm. uh, slow to load, I'm sitting there looking down in the bottom left hand corner of my screen, and of awesome fonts or something is sitting there, sitting there taking up some mm-hmm. time. And you know, uh, and it seems that uh, that all these third party scripts are, are taking the time. Uh, you know, how many of those get fixed with uh, a defer tag? Because uh, in links, we 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 use um, you know. Inlinks is all built around people injecting one line of JavaScript code on the website and it injects the schema and the internal links and stuff, um, which is, you know, good or bad, depending on who you are. Uh, but um, uh, but we use the defer tag so that um, it shouldn't be a, rend- a, a, a sort of a, a, a anything Render that blocks, blocking resource. blocks the scripts. And oh. I wonder, you know, why can't you use that with, with all those scripts, with all those things? Why can't you just always use a defer tag? I think you can, but I think the... The issue is um, the, the resource still has to load eventually, you know, 
and and I'm not sure that deferring JavaScript fixes things like uh, uh, first interactive um, and stuff like that. Um, the, the, the scripts still have to load eventually. Sure, but if it's a tracking script, you frankly don't want it, you know, you don't want it to load at the expense of the user, do you? Well, the other, the other thing, too, this is interesting that we're talking about performance uh, because, um, you know, there's been sort of a breakaway in the performance space where there's been this debate of whether or not um, should you be optimizing for, like, the tool sets or, for, or should you be optimizing for the actual user experience, you know, and you can defer scripts like crazy and you can even delay scripts and preload scripts and all that stuff um, and get these amazing scores. Um, but it really doesn't, it, 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 it can screw things up in some ways. So like there's a, there's a method that you can um, basically delay uh, tracking scripts until user interaction. Um, and, uh, when you do that, that's great, but it could screw up your analytics as well, you know? Um, and so I think that it's just one of those situations where uh, you kind of have to balance the two, you know, um, and, and it's a case-by-case -case basis, you know. Um, it just depends, I guess, is the right way to say it, you know. Fair enough. I'll take your point. Um, so defer tag could also screw up your uh, your website that's a, a fair point really uh, let's let's dive into to my next bugbear in javascript based websites and honestly we're talking about this and, uh, and Jamie, Jamie, Jamie was going to give me sass and I'm sure Joe will give me sass <laughs> as well. You know, But one of my pet hates with JavaScript websites is uh, I'm trying to use it and then there's a bit that I want to share with uh, on social media with my, uh, with my um, colleagues uh, and it's the same bloody link as five minutes ago because I've been doing everything using JavaScript and the URL hasn't changed, so I can't share anything with uh, with anybody on social. And the, the annoying thing is that also happens on Inlinks.net as well. And, uh, and Fred, the CTO at Inlinks, uh, who sponsored this just in case uh, I needed to get an advert out for Inlinks, he's a bloody good SEO. So why the hell does he do this to me every single time? I want every Every bit of JavaScript to have a different URL. Um, what I don't know. Why? Why? Do, why? Do, why does that happen? Why is there so much stuff on the same URL? Can I tell you the good word? Have you heard the good word about history push state APIs? This beautiful thing where you can change the address and give each asset its own beautiful, unique location. Just yeah. Okay. So 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 what is that? What? How do you do that? Uh, so push state is going to go ahead and update the address bar, or when you're doing like an infinite scroll, which sounds like you know you're in another piece of content, you've been going and going and going, uh, and you try and share it out, but it's not reflecting the content that you're on now. This is also a problem people see when they've got infinite scroll on their sites. There's mm -hmm. a way to go ahead and update very easily and accepted across all browsers, the address that you're on. So, so when do you when do you use this command, this push state command? Anytime the content changes, update it. Okay. All right. But it is, it is up for the, it's up to the developer to do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they have to implement that. And I think that that's a really good, I think, uh, workaround that SEOs should, I think, push more uh, when working with sites, you know, that, that that type of um, uh, push uh, happens, you know, and that is the preferred method with continuous scroll, uh, you know, sites uh, to update the 
of uh, I think it does it work with the uh, Rel Next and Rel Grab yeah. on that kind of thing. Can you send me um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean that kind of thing is is great. I think that um, from a usability standpoint, I think that's what you're mostly talking about, Dixon. I mean, doing what Jamie's saying, I think, is what devs should be focusing on. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, and that needs to be implemented more. We need to talk about that more. If, you, if, you, if you're using an infinite, infinite scroll, then um, I guess I'm just trying to understand, really, uh, as, a, as a simple-minded uh, guy, in, in this regard at least, uh, um, and I'm scrolling down an infinite scroll, does that, does that URL start changing in the, in the address bar as you're scrolling down? Yeah. That's how when you're on a page, you can like go to, and you come back and you can stay where you were. Right. So you, yeah. you clicked the yeah. link and then you wanted to go back to the content you were at instead of being shot to the top and you've been scrolling for 10 minutes and it's game over. You're not going back to that. That infinite scroll lets you go back or the uh, update of the address bar lets you go back to exactly where you were. Yeah, as long as that's implemented, that works really well. And we need to talk more about that. I think that that's something that SEOs should talk more about is is utilizing that as a workaround for uh, the the you know the URL issue. That you're talking about so you know. I, I, when you do do that do you think google is quite happy to then index because then potentially then you've got an infinite number of urls i guess because if you've got a scroll that's continually changing numbers as you're as you're scrolling down have you then got infinite urls which could be argued as duplicate duplicate content do you just change one problem for another well it needs to have an index array it needs to have a known limit if you have 100 pages worth of content don't let it go ahead and start requesting page 200 no. and resolving with a 200. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. And then also, I mean, that's just a, a, a an area where you would just use proper canonicalization. Um, it, it, you know, depending on what the content is, depending on what, what we're working with here, you might just want to use a proper use of canonical tag, you know, in that situation, you know, um, it just depends on what the content is and what, what you're trying yeah, to do. I mean, on Indexes site, I mean, because you just got to go to the homepage. And if you, you know, you put a URL in, you don't even have to log into the system. You can put a URL in, and what it does is it reads it reads that, that page and runs our own natural language or named entity extraction algorithm, and it uses Google's uh, API and, and, and compares the entities that Google sees versus the ones that we see. And my URL hasn't changed. I can't, I can't show all these reports as a marketing guy. I'd like to just, you know, pimp that out and saying, hey, look, Google can't pick up these 300 entities on a page. Uh, and uh, it just wasn't built that way. And we're too busy to building other stuff now to go back. It's a really low lift change. Yeah. Okay. It's quite low lift. I'm going to tell Fred this. <laughs> For the ROI of being able to share these assets you've worked so hard to make, if you build them and no one else can access them, do they count? Well, yeah, well, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> it's just I'll the marketing guy telling, telling the dev guy, and they get into trouble at these kind of things uh, when you try and do that. So uh, <laughs> I will try again. Excellent. Okay. Um, Let's, let's talk about uh, well. Let's talk about the difference between uh, you know JavaScript SEO and JavaScript frameworks because you know that's something Jamie you were talking about before we came on. Really, you know, yeah. people have misconceptions about the two different. What are the what is the difference? I'm I'm in the the the, the crowd that has misconceptions. <laughs> Most sites are using JavaScript. Ninety eight percent of the internet has JavaScript running on it. JavaScript's expensive, and I think that's one of the things earlier when we we're talking about. Um, just because we can doesn't mean we should, because you get to ship that as 
browser has to build it all. It's expensive. It's one of the heaviest things on the internet right now, according to the last uh, internet archive study. So the web almanac is a great resource. There's a whole chapter on JavaScript in there. It's really important to differentiate JavaScript running on any given page, which is you know how you have a lot of analytics firing off your tag managers versus the JavaScript framework. Something like React, Vue, Angular. Honestly, you could like coffeemug.js is probably a framework by now. There's millions of them. They're everywhere. <laughs> and optimizing for them um, looks very different depending on what they are because some of these are client-side render, which means it's like an Ikea ship. They send you all the parts. Your browser builds it up. Some of them serve... Uh, the server builds it when you request it, and they send it back. So that's their server-side render. Static, they have a copy ready to go. It's like when you go go to Voodoo Donuts, which is a great place here in Denver, and you pick out a very bougie, fancy Portland cream donut. And, you know, there's one in display, but there's also a bunch ready to hand over to you. Um, optimizing for them looks different because it depends on how they're built. If everything is client-side, I'm really sorry. That is a nightmare. Every script that is rendered client-side has a probability of breaking, and you have no insight into when or how it broke. So something could be broken for a fair amount of time, and you have no earthly idea. Okay, I get that. Joe, I mean, what do you find yourself mostly playing with? You know, you, you said earlier on, before, before we came on, you hate doing SEO for JavaScript, but you quite like programming in it, which I guess is that is the difference between server-side and, uh, and client-side JavaScript. Yeah, I, well, I hate to even admit what I enjoy programming in, um, but I'm an old-school guy, uh, so I really like jQuery. Um, and I know a lot of people don't like jQuery, uh, but I, I still really like jQuery. I think it's really easy to use. Um, but, you know, going back to what Jamie uh, said, um, I think that, you know, uh, th this is what I was talking about before we started the podcast about how we as a community talk about these frameworks and talk about, uh, you know, how they're utilized and whatnot. And, and what you were saying, Jamie, about how uh, the the likelihood that some things are going to break or whatever is something that we don't talk about enough. And I think that that's something that needs to be understood is that, um, and I'm, I'm, guilty of this as, as well is like a, we'll do like a a test like i'll run a test on uh to see if this works or whatever and then i'll come out and put a tweet out and say you know oh i just tested this thing in javascript and it works you know um but at least for myself and i imagine for many other people when we do tests like that we don't do them at scale right so so just because it worked on one page but i wrote the it script works on my on, machine <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It works on my browser. It works, it works oh. here. It, you know, it worked. It worked here. Where you know, it works. Uh, this one time, the Google indexed the page. But the problem I have, the problem that I see a lot of, is 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 these pages that have like you know ten, twenty thousand URLs that are utilizing uh, a, a, a client side render um, on each page. And if it's something like you know, their client side rendering a batch of internal links on every page. Well, okay, if just one of those pages has an error during the crawl, or maybe even a batch of those pages have an error during the crawl, it can significantly cut down the internal crawl and the internal link equity spread for that crawl. And like Jamie said, if you don't know how long it's been like that, then you could significantly be cutting down uh, internal link equity spread uh, as a result of that. And so it's one of those situations where I don't like, I, I really don't like uh, client-side rendering for that reason, because I'm worried that there's all these, these opportunities for it to break uh, on the search engine side. Mm -hmm. um, and 
it's going to significantly hurt you um, if, if it does break. And and that's why I'm just kind of always really uneasy about it. Even when I see things like that work well, because like, you know, Angular and React, they, they both have uh, kind of good uh, ways to get around all that. Like they've got uh, different things you can do um, to, to implement server-side rendering and whatnot. Uh, but it's still that that opportunity for failure uh, can still occur, you know. And so I, I think that we need to talk about, like, as a community, when we talk about these things, we should say, okay, look, like, you can do this, but should you, you know. And you 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 can implement these these uh, these tools and and whatnot, but but here are the risk in doing that, you know. Um, not just saying yes, well, it works, so do it, you know. Um, I think that's kind of dangerous for some sites, you know. So, I mean, on that then, how do you check it? I mean, surely, surely there's got to be a way to check that the JavaScript is running properly and uh, on 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 pages. How how do you go about checking that sort of stuff, Jamie? You got to say use deep crawl, or can't you check it on that either? Well, here's the thing: yeah, you can, but it's a probability of failing. Every single one of them yeah. is a probability. So a lab yeah. test has a set boundary of where it's running from, how it's running, what it's emulating. In the real world, somebody with shoddy cell phone reception walking behind a really blocking building could change how that page loads. And it's worth noting that there's four causes of poor LCP. One of them is client-side rendering. This is yeah. significant. You are asking that browser to go ahead and assemble everything. Many times these users are in mobile. If they're outside the US, data is expensive. And we are shipping so many things that they don't need. You know, I gave the analogy of like, it's it's clients and renderings like going and getting a flat pack bookshelf from Ikea. Well, half the time they ordered a bookshelf. We also sent them half a table set as well. They didn't need it. It doesn't function, has no purpose, but we sent it and they had to assemble it. <laughs> I love that analogy. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and you know, I, uh, to continue that analogy, uh, Amazon now has a service uh, where they will come to your place and uh, assemble an item. Have you guys seen this? Mm -hmm. um, like, you can you can actually hire somebody to come to your house and assemble whatever you've got. And I think that if if they if we could work that into this JavaScript analogy, like maybe somehow if a if a site decides to use Client side rendering, could they somehow send us like a batch of more bandwidth or something? I don't know <laughs> how that would work, but that, like, you know, that would be super cool if, if we could say, okay, like the, the, the responsibility of making this work needs to be clearly on you if you've decided to do this, uh, the, the, the client side. But rendering, presumably, you know? you know, you can use a, a lighthouse or, or something to just see which, well, or just look at the, the, the code to see which JavaScript files are being called uh, and, mm -hmm. uh, and make a list and then, you know, have a look at, you know, whether those JavaScript files have got a good reputation or maintained, you know, because most of those are going to be names, file names that um, are used all over the web, surely. They can be, but here's the thing. Anytime you rely on a third party's code, you also have a security risk, you have a performance risk. The most performant and secure assets are those you don't ship. So we tend to do kitchen sink tags on our sites. We keep adding scripts and adding things and adding features and adding functionalities until it is so absolutely bloated that we are just a 
dragon with a bunch of Allen wrench keys going, this is fine. Mm. It's not mm. how the experience we want to give our users. We can't just ship all of this off without being considerate of how we're using their bandwidth. There are options yeah. out there where we could do things that split the difference. So something like uh, uh, progressive hydration that would let us ship the hero content that which the user is coming for critical things like meta tags, um, all of the good bits. And then that secondary, that tertiary content that can be loaded in the client's browser, mm-hmm. that footer. No one cares about your footer. Like load that client side. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, also you got, this is kind of in a way, this is where we kind of get into the, into the marketing kind of thing is, one of the things I see having a, a lot of issues are all of the conversion tracking scripts. Um, you know, those are, those are really a pain in the butt, you know? Um, and, and it's, I, I think that it's hard being an SEO and telling another marketing department, Hey, like, please don't load those scripts. Like, because yeah, and they're like, well, how are we supposed to do our, our job? Like, the, the CROs, you know? Um, so I think that, like, it, I think what uh, Jamie's talking about is loading those critical assets, you know, first and, and prioritizing everything else makes a lot of sense. Um, it does get a little bit sticky, though, telling, like, the CROs, hey, like, your your JavaScript isn't as important as, like, everyone else's, you know. But it comes to their execution. I've been a CRO. I've, and I've seen when you use a global tag, when you block that entire page while you're waiting for your third-party A-B testing platform tool, you are crashing your conversion rate, whether it's control or variable. Yeah, sure. I have the data. That's a good point. So that's a good point. only yeah. block what you need. Make that yeah. element. Here, here is surely this is the, the, the problem with that argument is that, um, you know, and I, I remember Martin Splitz talking about it, who's, Google's JavaScript SEO guys for those who are on the podcast that you know want to know who he is, um, and he, he he says yeah well it's it's really good that you know you you should only you know deliver JavaScript you know JavaScript code when that page actually needs a code you know don't just bundle everything into one big JavaScript stop, file that yeah. leaves that does everything <laughs> you know break those out but don't break them out into 10 files if all 10 files have to load then you may as well just have one call to the computer but. The problem with that logic is that, you know, some pages need certain functionality and other pages don't need that functionality. And yeah. it's very difficult for us as the, well, I say us as the, for you guys as the developers, uh, to uh, to to know in advance which pages, which which of them is going to be needed. There's tools for that. There's no way a human can go through and map that out. But there are tools for tree shaking and for code splitting. You can put Webpack in your pipeline and it goes, okay, this page uses this code. Yeah, but you don't. So, so let's say you're using some kind of uh, thing for resizing images or something like that, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and um, But the thing is, you don't necessarily know whether there are images on the page that need resizing. Um, you would if you went through manually and you found this kind of stuff out. Um, but I, I, what I'm saying is that is the logic of um, trying to know exactly which javascript files to call and which ones not to call isn't that easy to 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 uh to do in real life surely it's a bit it- i think it i don't think it uh, you're right it's not it's not easy but i think that more sites can do a better job of it um and i think that uh one of the ways that you do that is you have a good understanding of of really like what i what i tend to do is i tend to do uh break up sites into uh page types you know um, and I understand what, if I say, okay, I know that blog posts don't need this JavaScript. I know that, 
uh, your your primary landing pages don't need this JavaScript, um, and give the the developers more direction in that regard, uh, so so that they can make some kind of uh, case based rules or whatever they want to on the back end to you know uh, not you know to to exclude certain pieces out of certain page types. You know, um, I think that's kind of the way you can kind of go with it. Um, because I mean, I've seen I, I actually have a client right now who has about. 30 pages that had video content embedded on them. Um, and they have a uh, video player, a JavaScript video player. But the site is like thousands of pages. Um, and only 30 of them have video content, but they're loading uh, the JavaScript files for that content on every page, you know. Um, and so that kind of thing is kind of common sense, like say, OK, well, th th these JavaScript assets are only for, you know, your videos that are playing on these 30 pages in the video section. Let's let's eliminate that site-wide except for those uh, 30 pages. So I do think that you can definitely, I mean, there are a lot of opportunities for that where you look at opportunities like that and and, and a lot of sites can do better uh, with that. Um, but you're right, it is difficult. Um, if you really want to get granular with it, you can use uh, a tool like Geekcrawl, for example, I imagine, Jamie, to figure that out on a page page by page basis by looking at like individual footprints or whatever uh, to put in to understand, okay, we know that these pages are the ones that need this asset because of what our crawl data says, you know? Um, so I think it's possible, but it is difficult. It's a difficult task and it's a difficult ask from an SEO. It's difficult to go to a development team and say, look, we need you to only load the JavaScript on these individual pages because Let's face it, it's just so much easier to slap it in a template somewhere and, you know, call it a day. Um, so I get it. But I, I think it's possible. I think more websites could do a better job of it, even if it's hard. So how would you go about optimizing that? You know, what, what's, what scripts are called, Jamie? I would automate it using a library like Webpack so it can go ahead and do the code splitting and tree shaking for me. Um, alternatively, if that's not an option, let's look at what's in that global bin. What are we shipping on every page and go, hmm, some of these only fire on specific templates. So then we begin to enter that conditional logic Joe mentioned where, you know, if the template is the video player, then we load the script. So Webpack, I remember Martin Spitz also mentioning Webpack. So, you know, mm -hmm. that, that, was a, that was a good sign. Um, so can you explain Webpack a little bit? Because it sounds like a, a resource that probably, you know, we should know about. Absolutely. Um, it's available on GitHub. It builds into React really easily and a bunch of other frameworks. It's simply a library that you add. And when you go ahead and build the pages, it handles that identification of what scripts are used and where they're used and will only ship what is needed. Because fundamentally, all of discussion around JavaScript comes to the fallibility of rendering. And Core Vitals is measuring how effective we render. So if we can go ahead and load what matters when it matters we provide a performance site regardless of how much or how little javascript's in play so if i'm a simpleton uh with a wordpress website well sorry not simpleton i'm i i, I i'm a wordpress man so i use my wordpress websites huh. uh and i'm sure that i've got loads and loads of plugins that are absolutely well hopefully not too many um, and i have, have have had people telling me off that's your junk drawer it's yeah, time that, for us to go through and yeah, clean that, junk, that drawer. junk drawer but of course the junk drawer you know even when i decide though which plugins i do keep out of those 
Mm-hmm. Um, the majority of those plugins will probably load those JavaScript files on every single. And a video player is a pretty good example of that. Uh, mm-hmm. If I've got a uh, if, if if I've got a you know a video and I want to speed up that video and I suddenly find a plugin that says this will you know load your video player mm-hmm. much much quicker. So I put it in and add it and thinking I'm speeding up the website. But Joe, what you're telling me is I'm speeding up the page with the video and slowing down every other page. Is that right? Yeah, I mean it, it depends. Like, and I hate to. Honestly, it really, it, I, I do a lot of WordPress development and I'm a WordPress bias. Uh, so I will say that if you are loading a video plugin um, and it puts out JavaScript on every page, then it's a bad plugin, mm-hmm. right? Because there's definitely ways to uh, uh, localize those scripts only on pages that uh, they are needed. Um, and then I hate to recommend using another plugin, <laughs> but uh, there are plugins out there that can help this process and, and streamline it. Uh, Perf Matters is a great plugin uh, to uh, for WordPress uh, that can um, help you eliminate unneeded JavaScript on pages that are not using it. Um, there's some other other options out there too. Is, is there is there a webpack for SEO for for WordPress? I don't know. Is there a, is a webpack plugin for for WordPress? I don't know, Jamie. Is there Look, looking it up while we're going? <laughs> there's a million and one plugins for WordPress. And yeah, here's the you know. thing, you have to be uh, judicious in deciding which ones to use. Yeah. And they are very much an ecosystem where it's, you could put in one that optimizes for one thing, but hers all the other things. So be patient, be aware of security risks that come with any of these. Don't forget that um, British Airways got hacked real good by 16 lines of JavaScript added onto a third party script they fired in every page. That's one thing about WordPress. It's really easy to make mistakes uh, because there is so much out there and so much available. Um, I will say, like, I don't think that if you have a website that, you know, a WordPress website that you uh, care about, um, I I would not add plugins without help uh, if you don't know what you're doing. Um, And and you really need to understand what that plugin is doing and how that plugin works and, and what the major kind of features are for it. Um, and also you should only add uh, plugins that are regularly maintained and regularly updated. And I, th- I think that's pretty much, you know, y- you can you can have a look at the community behind that plugin really easily before you start. Yeah, I mean, I could go ahead and release a, bu- a plugin right now that'd be like, makes your page faster and it just puts flame decals on it. There's <laughs> yeah. not a lot of... Just remove uh, the code. Just remove the code. Nice white page there. <laughs> oh, yeah. there's a great library that's called um, Thanos.js and it just snaps half the code off the page. I think it's the best thing ever. <laughs> Automatically <laughs> makes your site more performance. 50% lighter. <laughs> You're only allowed to program in 20 lines of code. The whole page's got to go in 20 lines. That sounds a, that sounds a, good, uh, a, a, good, a good way to force people to optimize. Um, good javascript is like phys- physics it's beautiful and simple and completely baffling yeah. that's true um okay so uh, let's let's talk about um a little bit about um doms and uh view source versus inspect and uh and the the, the differences for uh people because you know i i i before you know another naive thing that i said before i came on is uh is uh, I never use view source anymore. And you both kind of looked at me and said, why wouldn't you use view source? You know, cause I'm always using the inspect and assuming that I don't want to use view source cause I want to see what the rendered code is. Um, why, why, why has Google kept Chrome, uh, view source in the Chrome as an option 
when they've got uh, when they've got inspect and what's the difference anyway for everybody else it's part of the pixel pipeline my friend if you have a no index tag in that view source it's never going to get rendered to see the index so it's an order of operations we think of google as this giant monolith it's code code runs an order it starts with viewing the HTTP responses and it moves through the source that it grabs all the resources and renders. But then does that mean that if you put no index in a JavaScript tag, it'll it'll render? If you put no index in a JavaScript tag and it renders on the page, yeah, it's way to handle yeah. software fours. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It'll okay. render it, but it used a lot more resources to get there and then find out none of it was valuable. And it didn't need any of it. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the whole thing here is the difference between view source and, uh, and the rendered JavaScript. That's where the... The interesting bit lies for trying to optimize JavaScript for SEO. Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, I think that like, you know, the the view source is, uh, so I let me give you a little bit of a history of, of myself and help to explain my perspective. <laughs> um, I, I come from a time when the term server-side rendering didn't exist uh, because that was all that we did. Uh, there was no such thing as client-side rendering. Um, it, you know, JavaScript back then was was kind of like included to create a more rich experience, but it never was responsible for like actually rendering content, you know. Um, so I think that with that perspective, um, view source is is server side rendering. It, it is uh, it is what comes directly from the server um, and it's not the, the client side render uh, version of the page. So. I think what I use the view source for a lot is uh, comparing the two and, and understanding, okay, if, if there's something showing up in the rendered version um, in Chrome tools, uh, then that means it's not showing up in, in the view source. Uh, that means that it's, that it's, uh, that it's uh, client side rendered. Um, and, and if that is something that, you know, it, it helps with SEO or, or, or as a part of the SEO process, then that that should be understood. You know, and, and it doesn't mean that that the engines are not seeing it. It just means that they're having to go through an extra layer of work uh, to see it, you know. Um, and, and so I think that that's why I use the view source and, and, and the uh, the Chrome dev tools and spec tools and stuff like that uh, to, to make a difference between the two, you know. James, do you want to jump in on anything of that? I mean, it should be part of your processing pipeline. Um, no matter how far in the long, long ago in the before times we all came from, like Hummingbird, Panda, the great farmer updates, this is where we are now. This is our reality. And just like your browser, you are optimizing for uh, an experience that involves JavaScript. That pipeline starts with the initial request. We get that HTML, initial HTML response, which is the view source. Uh, we can look at the network tab in Chrome DevTools and see what resources are being called. So then we know what else Google has to go run and fetch in order to make that page. So we've moved from view source to like, let's look at the network tab. If one of those resources is blocked, the content that it generates can't attribute to the page. When we see that full DOM, we could do something like comparing the output from URL inspector to that which we have in a live page, which you can copy and paste out of URL inspector. They added a fine functionality into the rendered HTML there, and I love it. And you can compare that to what you have in your user's page and see where the gaps are. It's very useful. It's important to note, though, when you do a live test, live test bypasses Google's extremely aggressive cache. They are ignoring your max age tag because no one used it right, and this is what happens. So 
If you do a live test, you're going to see a lot more resources unavailable, probably from asynchronous threads and chaos and cake. That's okay. Use that cache version instead. Compare and see, are pieces of my content missing? If pieces of the content are missing and they're in the view source, they're in our initial HTML, that means they were overwritten and not included in that DOM. Google flattens the DOM yeah. as it goes. It doesn't keep a copy of the DOM and this bit and this bit, every piece of script as it runs. They don't crawl the internet to be altruistic and JavaScript is expensive. Mm. So it behooves mm. them to go ahead and reuse resources where possible and to keep a single version rather than the layers and layers that we tend to have in our sites. I'm going to finish with with um, one last thing that I'd like to ask about, and it's more of a theoretical, but I suspect it's not theoretical. I bet it's uh, got some very real problems emerging on the horizon. Um, last uh, few few um, webinars that we've had on the on the podcast, the Knowledge Panel, we've talked about um, the edge and doing things through Cloudflare or Akamai and 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 using SEO, you know, injecting, you know injecting links or injecting schema or, in, or redirects or whatever at the, uh, at the at the cloud level, at the edge level um, via the CDN. Um, and I'm wondering now whether, you know, that's trying to get in even earlier than the damn server. Um, and uh, I'm wondering now whether uh, there are, is likely to be some, some clashes between JavaScript and, you know, injecting things through, um, through a, a CDN. I don't know if that's something that you've found, had issues with, um, or got some theoretical problems with, or never thought about before. I don't know if anyone wants to jump in with any thoughts on that. I don't think that there are any major conflicts with it. I think it depends on how that CDN or, or the edge, the edge level SEO is being implemented. I know some of the edge level SEO that I've heard about, um, utilizes javascript in some ways um and, and and others don't um but from a theoretical perspective only uh you know if if the site is is using a cdn um then it's all kind of the same um especially if that cdn is utilizing some form of caching uh like cloudflare does then you're already making that request from the cdn to begin with so I don't think there'd be a, a lot of conflicts. Uh, I, I, I'm i not sure, though. I mean, I, I don't see it being an issue, though. I have some clients who've had great success that's really useful, uh, particularly in sites with a lot of tech debt, where it's yeah. a little bit of uh, code spaghetti and Jenga, and something can seem really dumb, yeah. but if you remove it, everything stops working. Yeah. So... <laughs> There's a boon to it. They can go ahead and basically take all of the chaos that you were going to ship to the client and cruft out that which wasn't necessary, add in some pieces that are. The only time, because again, it's following a pipeline. We're going from server to CDN, then passing along to our users. And so I could see a problem would be in the devil's details. So mm. if in the CDN you are flattening everything, you are not shipping any of your JavaScript, things like your tracking tag would mm. not run. Mm. But you can add exceptions into there. So it's really about how you do it. Yeah, and another thing about uh, the, the edge, edge SEO that I've heard from most SEOs that utilize it is that it makes the SEO process much more manageable. Um, 
for, especially when you're working with a, a company that has a big team. Sure, 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 it does. However, if you're the SEO and you're going control of Cloudflare, uh, Rob, what's coming? I'll, I'll ask that question in a second. Uh, if, but if you're in control of Cloudflare, you could really screw up the developers because developers yeah, can't work yeah. out why the hell their thing yeah. isn't working. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, but but it's, it's, it, it has to be sort of like this agreement, you know I mean? If, if dev team can't get to your tickets for another six months, then they have to agree to give you a workaround. You some, <laughs> yeah, give you a workaround. And I mean, that's just kind of like the simple kind of uh, a compromise you make uh, with, with the dev team and say, look, like if you can't give us this in six months, then at least let's do this instead. And we'll work with you to and keep you informed of everything that we're doing um, and, and kind of, uh, coexist in that regard um but yeah it is a lot easier for, for a lot of a lot of seos that manage enterprise accounts and whatnot uh to have that level of access you know okay david can you bring up that question from joe that comment from rob watson i'll just read it out for the for the it's a great one thanks rob Ron. says cloudflare i found uh removed html comments which i used to to test a little thing once it took me ages to figure it all out. So yes, you have to be careful for sure. Um, that's kind of they're interesting. They're doing minification. Yeah. They're cleaning it up so it's a smaller file. They're removing. Yeah, you don't need spaces, comments in the output code, do you? Exactly. You know, like this comment that Stop says, "Please don't things read this." In the client's council. <laughs> I remember PubCon. Uh, Breck Tabka used to use comments in the uh, in the robots.txt file to uh, advertise for job roles. So you know, once you started looking at his txt robots.txt, that's when you can start applying for jobs at PubCon. So <laughs> there we go. But you know that brings up a good point. Rob's point brings up a good uh, point back to what Jamie was talking about about having like a clear understanding of the sequence of events, right? So. If, if you're working with a client and uh, stuff like that happens, uh, all your comments disappear. If you are aware of the sequence, if you know that they're using a the CDN, then it makes it much more easier to troubleshoot uh, that issue. Because you can say, oh, well, I know they're using Cloudflare, so let me go and check and see if that's a Cloudflare issue. Um, or it could even be a, I, you know, I'm a WordPress guy, so it could even be a WordPress plugin. Uh, a lot of these WordPress uh, performance plugins will do the same thing. They'll, they'll minify the JavaScript, remove the, the HTML and remove comments and stuff like that. So if you know the process that you're working in, the sequence of events uh, for that initial request, then you can kind of debug that pretty quickly. Uh, just step through each process in the chain. It's visibility uh, yeah. and awareness, awareness into your site's PEMDAS, if you yeah. I, like that. I mean, I think that pipe pipe thinking order, Jamie, has been has been my my. I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious when you think about it that you know, of course, you know what happens at the uh, at the, the the DNS level is much more important ultimately than what happens at the server level, which is much more important than what happens at the. Uh, but they can all wreck your website; it doesn't really matter. So uh, I mean, I found I, a job posting at a header the other day. I thought that was very clever. It was like X hacker high this come apply yeah. for us. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That is clever. Uh, yeah, I think you know. Uh, yeah. There's other sites I know that do that as well. Guys, I think we got to the end of our time already. Uh, these things don't take very long. Uh, I was going to ask about using Google GTM to mess around with your JavaScript tags and things, but uh, I'll uh, I'll have to leave that for another day. Uh, and uh, so, so you know, thanks very much for coming on. But just before we go, David, what do we got on next next month on the next the next session? Next month, um, it's not on the usual Monday. It's actually on a Wednesday. Um, that's because we're, Monday the 18th is Easter Monday. So instead, we're going to be doing it two days after that on Wednesday the 20th of April. And 
that particular subject is going to be technical SEO quick wins. Uh, we've got a couple of guests booked for that one already. We've got uh, Will You Miner Gilbertson Davis from uh, BAT, and we've got Cara McClure from Mindshare. So sign up to watch that one live over at theknowledgepanelshow.com. Okay, brilliant. And All right, thanks cool. to Inlinks for sponsoring this stuff, as everywhere. I'm, I'm the CEO of Inlinks, so they're always going to have to sponsor this thing. Uh, it's <laughs> Thank easy. you for sponsoring you. We appreciate yeah, that's, all of that's your effort. That's say really yeah absolutely so guys just before you go uh if people wanted to find you uh because clearly i've got two very very bright people uh on on the panel uh where where do the people joe how do they go and find you uh you can find me on twitter at joe hall i talk about seo and hot dogs and that's joe with an e for those who are on podcast yeah joe with an e h-a-l-l um on twitter and then on linkedin um, don't find me on Facebook. <laughs> I, I hate I, I hate Facebook. I'm I'm there, but I'm not pleasant there. So don't, don't. <laughs> okay. I don't think don't anybody's pleasant there. there. Mm. Yeah, I so, try. Yeah, I try yeah. to be present there. I'm old. Yeah, I, I like don't. Facebook. I, I, don't, I don't try. I don't try. I like Twitter yeah. because it makes you fall in love with a stranger in 280 characters. Meanwhile, Facebook yes. makes you hate your family. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. echo chamber is yeah. not good on Twitter. It's no. true. Yeah, uh, Jamie, how about you? Where do people find you? I am on Twitter at jammer underscore volts, or you can just look for the blue hair. It's pretty easy to spot me. So okay, so it's jammer j a w m e r underscore volts, as in electrocute yourself, Greg. So yeah, that's brilliant, guys. Thank you ever so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Um, uh, it's uh, it, it's been good. Uh, I know we were trying to get Nick on as well, Nick Ranger, but uh, we'll uh, we'll get her on another show, so we'll get that sorted. Uh, and guys, thanks very much. And for everyone that's watching and listening, um, please uh, come back again soon. Cheers. Bye, guys. Cheers. All right. Thanks.